help with a strata law issue or a building and construction matter. Sachs Girachi Lawyers is a leading Sydney law firm that can help. With over 20 years experience, Sachs Girachi Lawyers focus on commercial litigation, building and construction, strata law and local government regulation issues. Now, here is your podcast. It's likely you may have heard of the term NCAT, which is an abbreviation for the New South Wales Civil and Administration Tribunal. Now, not only does that tribunal hear a wide range of matters every day, but often the people before the tribunal are representing themselves. It goes without saying that that can prove to be a pretty tumultuous event. In today's podcast, we're again going back to basics and giving you a heads up on some very important things if you're about to run your matter in NCAT. And to do this, I'm joined by David Sachs of Sachs Dirachi Lawyers. So David, what actually is an NCAT hearing? When when NCAT has to decide a case that's started by somebody filing an application and after it's gone through the processes of having the case prepared, NCAT will allocate a period, half a day, a day or longer if necessary, where a tribunal member will sit in a hearing room with the parties or the representatives of the parties and will hear all of the evidence and hear all of the submissions that the parties have to make about the case in order to enable the tribunal member to make a decision. So, When someone files the application, prepares all of the documents that MCAT requires, complies with the directions that are made at various directions hearings, it's all directed towards this hearing when everything comes together and enables the processes of the tribunal to be completed and a decision made. David, within the NCAT ecosystem, if you like, who is actually who in the zoo? You know, what are the moving parts? If, at, at, at NCAT, there's a variety of members. So these are people who are appointed to positions on the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal. And I guess at the, the, the lowest level of the rung is a person called a member. So that's a member of the tribunal. And then there are senior members of the tribunal, principal members of the tribunal. And then there's some deputy presidents when you get up into the higher echelons of the way the tribunal works. And at the head of the whole organisation, which which comprises, I, I've encountered it, but there would be hundreds of members of, of various delegate designations. There is the president of the tribunal who is a Supreme Court judge, and that's her jurisdiction that she oversees. And so those members have allocated to them cases to be determined. So if somebody is in a dispute that's being litigated in NCAT, when it comes to their hearing day, which well they will be notified about, then an appropriate member, a member, a senior member or a principal member will be allocated to hear the case. So they'll be put into a hearing room and everybody will know that you need to come to this hearing room on this particular day at this particular time and there will be a member there ready to hear the case. David, what happens in the circumstance that a hearing is adjourned, say, for example, you know, partly heard? 
It depends. And and really what, what lawyers will ask is whether the, I guess the terminology for it is whether the member is part heard. So if the member has actually started the case, so they've accepted some evidence in and they've just run out of time or something else has come up that means that a case needs to be adjourned to another day. Some examples off the top of my head would be a witness who should be available is not available or there's a surprise bit of evidence that's being allowed in as a matter of fairness and the other party has to respond to it. If a situation like that arises and the member has started the case, then it can be adjourned to another day and it would have to be that same member who would need to pick up the pieces of the case in order to complete it. So the same person who starts a case is required to finish it. Um, if the member is simply dealing with, for example, and, and this happens from time to time, a party serves evidence very late and then the other party objects to it and says that they can't deal with it at that time and there might there might be a dispute on the day about whether the case can proceed, the, the member who's allocated to it can adjudicate that dispute about whether the case should proceed and if they say it can't, that it needs to be adjourned, then it will be adjourned to another day for another member to hear it and that's because that member is not part heard because they haven't actually heard or admitted any of the evidence in the case. They're effectively just dealing with an adjournment application. So the, the, these are it, it's it's not so much a question of degree. It's a question of whether the tribunal member has crossed into the threshold of having started to hear the evidence in the case. Right. Let's shift gear a little bit and and talk about you know preparation. And I, I, I'm making the assumption that with the preparation comes a lot of a lot of nervousness that people might be experiencing if they're representing themselves within NCAT. Hundred percent, Dan. Because running a hearing in NCAT is like any other skill, and and maybe an analogy would be to driving. Everybody perhaps remembers when they first got behind the wheel and they're in very unfamiliar territory and they're try- there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that need to be done and their mind is not acclimatised to being able to manage all of those things that are all happening at the same time. Whereas someone who's a litigation lawyer like like me and, and like people in my firm who do this routinely, we're more like the more experienced drivers who... The routine aspects of driving or the routine aspects of dealing with a case being heard in NCAT become second nature. Uh, and and so it, it, that, that doesn't mean that a person preparing for a hearing can't do it, just like the driver who begins driving can't drive. Of course they can. If they've got some tutelage and they're properly prepared and they've had lessons, then they will be able to do those things. And and I guess the the frightening thing about it is that you're working in a very unfamiliar territory and you're not sure about all of the other things that are going to happen, happen, like the driver who's going too fast or someone who cuts in on you or, you know, something odd happens with work going on on the road. Uh, litigation has those things in a hearing as well. And they're the things that I guess people worry about. But all I would say is that at the core just like driving, there are core skills and core preparation that 
everybody can do and will carry people a long way through the hearing and will give them the best chance of having a successful hearing without being distracted by some of those idiosyncratic things that might occur and to be able to get the outcome that they're looking for. What about the, the the big hurdle that people might face, which is questioning witnesses? It's that you know that that sense of conflict potentially. You know, trying to pull information out that's going to be useful to, to your case, but also cross examination, trying to you know disprove or or challenge something that has been said by by another witness. Yeah, and and one one of the the things about cross examining a witness that where where people usually get off on the wrong foot is that they assume that it's some liar, liar, pants on fire process like what you might see on television, that you're going to expose somebody as a fraudster or someone who's you know, lying to the tribunal or is completely wrong. I mean, of course, those things happen, but they happen once in a blue moon. Cross-examining is really about filling in gaps or clarifying or putting statements that people have put in their evidence in a perspective and in, in, in a perspective that's more consistent with the, the, the case that you are trying to advance. Let, let, let's not forget that, and, and I think this is something that overlays the whole way in which a hearing needs to proceed, is that when we speak about the tribunal members, they're, they're doing a job. So they've got a task to do and they, they, it's an important job that is regulated by the Civil and Administrative Tribunal Act and dealing with strata disputes, it's regulated by the Strata Schemes Management Act. So you're trying to facilitate them doing the partic- their job under that legislation in your particular case and they need to do that job by applying the law by considering all of the evidence, by weighing evidence against other evidence to see which is more cogent or more relevant or more, I I guess, persuasive as far as they are concerned in order to enable them to make a decision. So they don't need to see battle lines or they don't need to see people humiliated or embarrassed in evidence. What they need to see is that some person's evidence, whether it's lay evidence or expert evidence, is more reliable and more complete and gives them a greater sense of confidence than somebody else's evidence might might lead towards. And that will enable a decision maker to make a decision because it's never going to be a perfect decision. It's never going to be... You know, there, there, there's not a, a golden light that shines into their mind that enables them to work out this puzzle. They need to do that by evaluating the evidence that's presented. So when it comes to questioning other witnesses, it shouldn't be geared towards exposing someone as a fraudster, but should be geared towards enabling the tribunal member to say that they prefer your evidence over that person's evidence because yours is more complete and more reliable and more consistent with other facts than what somebody else might be saying in their material. And David, the the, the derivative of all this in somewhat the finality of it is making submissions. And that's a, that's a piece of art in itself, isn't it? Well, what you need to do with the submissions is you are pulling together the 
application that you filed, let's say that you are the applicant, and which, which sets out the orders that you want the tribunal to make and gives a thumbnail sketch of the basis on which you say the tribunal should make those orders. And then you need to look at the evidence that's been filed, whether it's documents or statements or expert reports. And then you need to, I guess, amplify that by reference to other evidence that was presented during the course of the hearing or the way in which witnesses presented their evidence and answered questions and other material that came up. And you need to tie that back together in order to explain why all of the evidence justifies the grounds and then that are explained in the application and to enable the tribunal to make the orders that you're asking the tribunal to make or vice versa if you are acting for a respondent who's opposing the application to be able to wrap up the evidence and to explain why the tribunal would not be justified in making the orders that sought by the applicant, your opponent. And that needs to be done in, you don't need to wave your arms about, jump up and down. You don't need a lot of hyperbole because what the, the tribunal member is looking for is a logical process that is connected to the facts that they have to be determined or which are agreed or have been established to justify them doing their job to make the decision that they're statute-bound to do. Let's talk about the decision. Is it likely that the decision will be handed down on the day that the NCAT hearing happens? It does happen sometimes, Dan, but that, that's pretty uncommon. Uh, most of the time, the tribunal member will reserve and will deliver a decision to three, four, sometimes weeks, sometimes many months later. That makes things, uh, it, it is often the case, unfortunately, that that people who commence particularly fact-heavy or disputed or difficult cases, they have to wait three, four, five, even as long as six months before they get their decision. David, notwithstanding the fact that some people appear before NCAT because financially they just can't afford legal help, but what would motivate a person to that didn't have that you know that disposition to appear in NCAT by themselves? Given the complexity, I mean, what you just sort of set out, it's it's an ordeal and it will rent your head for days, weeks on end up to the lead time. But then, of course, even after it's all said and done, you've then got, you know, wait in abeyance for this decision to come down. Yeah, well, of course, a, a, a lawyer is like an expert driver on the road. So if you were a complete novice as a driver and there was a car and you wanted to get from point A to point B and you could say, I'm going to get into my car and yes, I think I might be able to get to point B and maybe I'll crash my car, maybe things will go completely wrong, maybe I'll get there or will I engage an expert who will guarantee that I will get to point B? When I say guarantee, will do all of the things that are necessary to get to, to point B. I mean that's that's what lawyers off that's what lawyers offer in this part of the litigation space. 
And David, you and the team at uh, Sextarachi do this work often? Yeah, we're always appearing in NCAP, whether we, we do lots of our own um, hearings, uh, we do, you know, whether they're applications for smaller things, directions hearings, or full-blown hearings over a number of days with um, you know, making submissions, cross-examining witnesses, etc., in, in all types of strata or construction disputes in, in NCAP. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or need more information, simply call Sax Girachi on 02 9331 5177.